Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Today's episode has been sponsored by Jay McLaughlin. Jay McLaughlin is a timeless lifestyle brand with incredible style and a spirit of connection. I am obsessed with Jay McLaughlin and have been so honored that they are sponsoring my Zibbyverse tour. It just so happens that the tour goes to so many communities and areas of the country that have Jay McLaughlin stores. And I love that the brand is philanthropic through Jay McLaughlin's local and loyal programming host store events to give back to organizations that are meaningful to Jay McLaughlin's local communities. I also love the fact that the clothes are just so chic. They make me feel polished and modern. And the best part is that most of the line comes in fabrics that don't wrinkle. I especially love the dresses, the cashmere sweaters, the other sweaters. You'll see them all over my Instagram. I typically tag at Jay McLaughlin. And so you can check it out. It is absolutely one of my favorite brands and I am over the moon excited to be working with them. In fact, I want to share the love with all of you. Jay McLaughlin is giving 20% off new customers and listeners of my podcast with special code ZIBBY20, capital Z-I-B-B-Y 20. That's 20% off for new customers and listeners of the podcast with special code capital Z Zibby 20. Take advantage of it today. My favorites are this white open long cashmere sweater that I've been wearing on every flight that I've taken on this tour. I have a blue with light blue horizontal striped sweater, several dresses I even wore on Corny America. Check it out. Jay McLaughlin. Thanks so much. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, the creator and host of the award-winning podcast that you're listening to right now, thank you so much, called Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. It is a daily podcast, 365 days a year, and each day we talk to an author about all of the things related to their career, their book, their life, and more in 30 minutes or less, because who has time? I am now an author myself, although I wasn't when I started this podcast, and you can get my new memoir, Bookends, a memoir of love, loss, and literature, wherever books are sold starting July 1st, and my children's book, Princess Charming. You can learn more about me at zibbyowens.com, but really, you're here to learn more about the authors, and that is what we're going to do. Also, be sure to check out all the other podcasts in the Zcast Podcast Network. You can learn more at zcastnetwork.com. Dot com and definitely check out those shows as well. Peggy Orenstein is the author of Unraveling What I Learned About Life While Shearing Sheep, Dying Wool, and Making the World's Ugliest Sweater. 
Peggy is the author of the New York Times bestsellers, Boys and Sex, Girls and Sex, Cinderella Ate My Daughter, and Waiting for Daisy, as well as Don't Call Me Princess, Flux, and the classic Schoolgirls. Her latest book is a memoir. A frequent contributor to the New York Times and a contributing writer for AFAR, A-F-A-R, all capitals. Peggy has also written for such publications as the Los Angeles Times, the Washington Post, New York, the Atlantic, and the New Yorker, and has contributed commentaries to NPR's All Things Considered and the PBS NewsHour. She has been featured on, among other programs, Good Morning America, CBS This Morning, The Today Show, Morning Joe, and NPR's Fresh Air. Her TED Talk, What Young Women Believe About Their Own Sexual Pleasure, has been viewed over 5.8 million times. The Columbia Journalism Review named Peggy one of its 40 women who changed the media business in the past 40 years. She has been recognized for her outstanding coverage of family diversity by the Council on Contemporary Families and received Books for a Better Life awards for both Girls and Sex and Waiting for Daisy. Her work has been honored by the Commonwealth Club of California, the National Women's Political Caucus of California, and Planned Parenthood Federation of America. Additionally, she has been awarded fellowships from the United States-Japan Foundation and the Asian Cultural Council and has been a grateful resident at Mesa, Mesa Refuge and the U Cross Foundation. We were lucky enough to do this episode live in Los Angeles. Welcome, Peggy. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. We're just so excited you're here to talk I'm, about Unraveled. I'm really happy to be here. This is, this is a bucket list thing. I love your podcast. Now, you said that a minute ago, and I was like, how could that even be? Like, I've been reading your books. It's just so nuts to me sometimes how this happens. When well, I think of where exactly where I was when I read Waiting for Daisy. I can, like, picture the room I was in. Anyway, it's crazy. But well, here we are. I, I, you know, I just think it's really for people to devote themselves to books and the promotion of books and authors right now just means so much because, I mean, I say in Unraveling that, you know, I feel kind of like we're, you know, like a blacksmith or something. Yes. <laughs> Yes, you did say that. That was so great. I loved that. You're like, you know, it, the industries that are fading out. Yeah. You know, I feel like I'm like Kodak over here. Or something, yeah, you know? right? Yeah. Exactly. So thank well, you for being Kodak. Yeah, being Kodak. <laughs> Starting a typewriter business is what I'm doing. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Like, uh, yeah. Okay. So tell listeners about your book. What's it about? Why did you write it? Mm. So unraveling, I mean, the kind of hook for unraveling is that I decided during lockdown when life came to a screeching halt and everybody was, you know, stress baking and making their sourdough and doing this, I thought, I know what I'll do. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to, I still think this is, whatever I think of it, I think, why? I am going to go from sheep to sweater and I'm going to learn how to, uh, I'm a lifelong knitter and I thought, you know, with my I, I wanted to know where my fiber came from, and I was curious, and I thought, I'll just take everybody one better, and I'm going to go learn how to shear sheep and process wool and spin it and dye it and make it into a sweater. So that was kind of the the one one strand of the braid. But what the book is really about underneath that is, you know, confronting midlife as a woman and my daughter leaving home and getting ready for the empty nest and my parents decline, my mom. It's a lot about mothers and daughters and about uh, fathers and daughters, as it turned out, which was kind of a surprise to me, but because my dad was declining. And so that's a whole thing. And then the other piece is that it became about, you know, the history of of women's work and and textiles and all they mean to us and um, all they mean to our our planet and um, all, you know, color and all this kind of crazy lore and everything. So it was sort of all these things braided together. Wow. And that came off great. (laughs) 
I mean, you're an expert knitter of all kinds. You know, it's <laughs> awesome. What you referenced your dad, I mean, the scene where you were talking about FaceTiming him and how he didn't realize that you weren't there yeah. and how he would ask, for, like, can you pass the water? And you're like, oh, dad, I can't reach it. I know. I know. Oh. I mean, it. You know, well, and he and and I'll tell you, he he died a few months ago. Oh no! Yeah, I mean, he was ninety six. I know, but still, know, it doesn't ever make it better. No, no, it really doesn't. And I will say, you know, I mean, one of the things about doing these, you know, kind of weird old time arts is they're very slow. Mm-hmm. And so, one of the things that I had to do was was card fleece, which maybe you did like you know when you were a kid <laughs> at some like you know Renaissance festival or something. With, <laughs> With two things that look like dog brushes, you take the... I did not do that. But you okay. take the fleece and you got to get it all organized so that you can spin it. And it's really boring. And I and you can only do it a little at a time. So I did like, you know, I did the first one. And then you, you make it into this little cigar-shaped puff. And it took me 10 minutes. And you need 579 of those to make a sweater. So you know, I thought, okay, this one took me 10 minutes. And I need 579. And that means it's going to take me the rest of my life. Um, <laughs> and so while I was doing that... I mean, I knew this book was going to bring me, be a lot about mothers and daughters. I knew it was going to bring me close to my mom. I knew it was going to be about my relationship with my daughter because we learned these things. We learned to knit. We learned to crochet. We learned all these things from our moms, from our grandmothers. But I didn't know how much it was going to bring me to my dad, who was, this was lockdown. He was in Minneapolis. Mm -hmm. Um, Even if I could go there, his facility was locked down nobody could go out or in yeah. and so I would I, I could slow down enough it was so hard because he had dementia to gear up to you know I would do it but to gear up to talk to him was hard yeah um, maybe he would be there maybe he wouldn't maybe he'd understand maybe he wouldn't um, and so I would when I was carding I was it was so slow I could slow down to his level mm-hmm. and I could really you know so so I would sit there with him on FaceTime and we would watch he was watching the twins. They were rerunning twins games where the twins always won. Yeah. And he didn't know they were not live. Yeah. And he thought they were winning because of something he was doing with his walker. Yeah. They're going, Dad, what are you doing? And he's and like, say, I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to tell you. Yeah, it's a trade yeah. secret. He was very cute. Uh, and we would sing because we would sing, you know, I would sing You Are My Sunshine to him. Yeah. Um, because that was... Uh, a different part of the brain and it allows uh, people who have dementia still can do song lyrics, Mm -hmm. which is interesting. And that helps them remember. And so we would sit there for hours. And now that he's gone, I can't tell you how precious that time is to me, how how grateful I am um, that that I could do that. I mean, it was just, it, it was so, so meaningful. And so I write a lot about that, that as well. And sort of going through those last years with a parent, which is, you know, a rite of passage. A lot of us, I mean, we all lose our parents, but that we all go through one way or another. Oh, it's so sad. You said something in that section, too, about how at first you would, like, wait until it was so late in the day. Yeah. So that you're like, oh, well, now it's too late to call. So for yeah. Like you had all these tricks until yeah. you really could get yourself into it. Yeah, because I live in California. He yeah. lives in Minneapolis. Yeah. So I'd be like, oh, you know, I'm busy. I'll call him later. Oh, my daughter, you know, I mean, the sandwich generation, right? So my daughter needs me. My husband needs me. This needs this. I can't do it. No, I can't. Oh, no, it's too late. I can't call him. You know, and, and it wasn't that I was trying to be, you know, uh, neglectful. It's just that it's, no, I, it's, it's, hard. it's so painful. Yeah. It's so hard. If I could see him in person, it would have been easier. But... Um, but so, yeah, so it gave oh, me, I'm so sorry. I really got something so amazing, such a gift from, from that time together. Ugh. 
And when you wrote about your mom too, and I'm sorry about your loss of her as well, (laughs) but what you said was so interesting is that you really wanted to talk to your mom, not as if she had lived and was now 96 or whatever she would be, but as if you were contemporaries and you could both like talk about what it was like. Because you're like, how did she deal with the pain of having a daughter leave the house? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would think about, I, I wrote about how our relationship was not always easy. Mm-hmm. There was a lot that I probably sometimes or often unfairly resented over the years, you know. And so I think in that way of daughters, we're pretty self-absorbed with our mothers, mm-hmm. you know. And I never, you know, I used to complain to my friends all the time that she didn't see me. But did I really try to see her, you mm. know? And I did I ever, you know, now that she's gone, and we could always bond over knitting. That was the thing. We could yep. always bond over knitting. That was always something that we could go to a knit store. We could go to, you know, look at yarn. And she was better than I was, so I could always ask her for help. And I loved that. Um, it was a, you know, it was a bridge mm-hmm. across the mm-hmm. generation gap. But I never said, you know, Mom, you know, were you ever lonely? Was it hard? How did you raise, raise a teenage girl? How did you stand it when she left? You know, all these questions that you never asked that died with her. And so, yeah, I said I wanted something that was in defiance of both the laws of, you know, nature and physics, that I I wanted her to be my age and I wanted me to be my age. And I have a conversation. So I was constantly, all through the pandemic, having a conversation with her in my head. But I was taking both sides. So it was, yeah. And and meanwhile, wrestling slippery sheep. Meanwhile, wrestling slippery (laughs) sheep. So I decided to, yeah, go off and shear a sheep. And... It was funny. I did a I did an event the other night um, in Northern California where I live, and somebody that I know who had been in my book Girls and Sex, she's in a chapter of Girls yeah. and Sex, came to the reading, and she said, "You know," she raised her hand and she said, "You know, you were following me around like oh, you know, it must have been almost ten years ago, and you were talking about wanting to shear sheep." And I said, I was? I had no memory of that. She said, yeah, you've wanted to do this for a long time. So I don't know. It's a bee in my bonnet, you know? Like, it was just one of those things that you got in your end. So I had no, I was so, you know, sort of, like, ignorant about it, though, at the same time. You know, it's like, yeah, sure. You know, people say, it's the hardest thing. It's one of the hardest jobs in the world. Yeah. It takes, it burns twice as many calories minute to minute as marathon running. <laughs> you know, it's like all the, they, the they're, they're slippery. I'm now picturing like an Equinox gym full yeah, of sheep. With sheep, And all these right? women in like spandex running around. Right. <laughs> like, and oh, it burns a lot of calories. They, you know, there's, they have land, they're, they have lanolin all over them, so they're slippery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They weigh more than you do, and they have hooves. And they, I mean, it doesn't hurt them. I want to yeah. be clear; it doesn't hurt no, them. Yeah, it's a haircut. But yeah, it's just a haircut. But but they don't want you know mm-hmm. they don't want to be there. Mm-hmm. And they've got hooves, and they kick. Yeah. And you have this hot whirring blade with no safety. And I know. I, I was like, where is this book going? I, I was like, what is going to happen to her? And all of this is like, I'm just going, yeah, yeah, sure, sign me up. Yeah, I can do this, no problem, no worries. You know, I can, yeah, absolutely, I can I can do that. Um, and I did. You did, you know? yes. Then um, <laughs> live to tell. And, and I'm so, I mean, all these things, all the, all the sort of tasks. I mean, I knew this was going to be a book. Like, I, I knew from the get-go, I thought, oh, I think, you know, as I was sitting there in, in COVID jail, thinking, um, well, maybe there would be a book in doing these tasks, and I would do a book, and it would be about the the things, and it would be about the people. I mean, what I didn't, Mm -hmm. but I didn't know all this other, like, all the opportunity that doing something completely new that I would never have otherwise done would give me to, you know, to, to learn about myself, to learn about my relationships with people, and to learn all this, like, stuff about the world and the planet and the 
history and all. I mean, that was just amazing. And creativity. So awesome. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. There were a few sections that I excerpted that I just wanted to read, if you don't mind. And you're so funny. Your sense of humor is, like, so great. But anyway, um, you said, That night in bed, I do the New York Times spelling bee on my phone, poking at my keyboard to make as many words as possible from a hive of seven letters. When I hit the number needed to reach the genius designation, I flip the screen around to show Stephen. The thing is, I tell him, I'm not really enjoying the game. I feel kind of anxious until and unless I make genius. And then, instead of feeling happy, I'm just relieved not to have failed. So it's never really fun. He glances up from his book. That sounds about right with your personality. Yeah, I agree abstractedly, then turn to him. Wait, what do you mean? (laughs) You're always trying to prove something unnecessary that no one cares about to nobody in particular. (laughs) And then you say, it's true, I am an incessant seeker of validation, perpetually worried despite my age and relative success about missing the mark, about not meeting unspoken expectations, about getting an A in whatever there is to get an A in, about how my work will be judged rather than what engaging in it means to me. Deep down, I know that's a trap, one that sabotages creative thinking. Maybe that is part of what draws me to this eccentric project, the relief, the excuse, the joy of incompetence. I love that so much. I relate to that. I love that. It's like you have to try something. Anybody with like any sort of perfectionistic tendencies, when you have to fail, it's like completely freeing. Yeah. I'm so glad you pulled that out because I think especially like, you know how sometimes, well, maybe you don't, don't, but I'm sure people say that you don't kind of know what a book's about until after you write it. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I think that this was really important to me in this book was the joy of being a completely rank amateur mm-hmm. and and that kind of beginner's mind. And when you, you know, because I do something that's sort of in the arts field, relatively speaking, for a living, mm-hmm. I mean, that's creative. And you also have to be worried about the marketplace and you have to be worried right. about making yes. a living and you have to be worried about commerce and all that stuff kind of erodes the creativity. Mm-hmm. So you start worrying about like, you know, other things. And to be able to have this back again, it's just first of all, like through three quarters of the book, I'm sort of struggling with that. Yeah. And I'm sort of going like, oh, I can't do this. Oh, it's so hard. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm never going to get it. Blah, blah, blah. And then there's a point where I go, oh, wait, that's the point. Right. The process is the point. And there, and I talk about having this cartoon in my office that I had yes. for years. It's a very cartoon where she talks about, she's like, it shows this like little kid just like drawing kind of crazy, just drawing stuff because, for the joy of it. And then she says, and then there's a certain point where um, the two questions come up and you start thinking, is this good or does this suck? And as soon as those questions, you hit those questions in life, you lose that creativity. You become sort of stymied and stuck. And I just, I so related to that. And I kept thinking, all I'm doing here is, you know, is this good? Does this suck? All the time. And then there's this other idea that um, I came across as creative mortification, (laughs) which is my other, like like, mortification is like death, right? Yes. And it's about, and this is great for parents, I think. Which I hadn't even realized more, but anyway. Right? Mm -hmm. Right? It's the same root. Mm -hmm. And so... And I, I really, I thought about this a lot as a parent that for all of us, you know, there's something, you, it's, it's the idea that you do this thing that you love, whatever it is, whether it's playing basketball or, or drawing or your music or whatever the thing is, and you're a little kid, and somebody suddenly gives you a too harsh critique, mm-hmm. and that's it. Yep. We've all had that, right? You put it down, and that's the end, yes. and you don't do it again. And so what I learned was instead of asking is this good, does this suck, to say things like, wow, what worked here? 
mm-hmm. what would I like to do differently next time? What would it mean if I tried this thing? And not that you go, I also talk about how, like, you don't want to do something totally inappropriate. Like, there's creativity means that it's original and appropriate. So, like, you wouldn't, if you paved your driveway with salami, that would be original <laughs> but inappropriate, you know? So you don't want to be paving your driveway with salami. But asking questions about process mm-hmm. and will help you embrace the joy of creativity in a way that so many of us as adults just lose. And doing something that you know you'll never really be good at. And that's why I said it's the ugliest sweater, even though it's really not. I brought it. You can see it if you want Oh, I want to see it. I'm Um, so excited. But it's not that ugly. But it didn't matter. It was just, it was about learning to let go of that and really love doing again. Wow. It's so important. I feel like I relate to this so much because... I was trying to like do all these things, and every so often my husband's like, "Aren't you? Are you having fun? Aren't you having fun?" And I'm like, "Well, no. I, like the idea was fun, yeah. but now I'm worried about how I'm doing with the execution of it." Right? It's the same so, thing, and it saps you of all the joy. Yeah. So whether like I mean I'm sure that's true with like a podcast. That seems like the funnest thing in the world. Yeah. No, actually, I really love the podcast. Oh, that's but good. but other things. <laughs> But I don't know. Maybe you start yeah. thinking, like, is it popular? Are people... I mean, I yeah. don't know. No, don't it's know. true. I, I guess, yeah. But, no, yeah. you know, there's so many things yes. that we... And, and creativity doesn't have to be the arts either. You know, it's whatever that mm-hmm. thing is that, that feeds your soul and trying to... And people kind of dream of making that thing their profession, or maybe it is their profession, but sometimes that can take something away that you lose what you and you gain yes. when you do that. So true. Well, anyway, that was really helpful to me, that oh. passage. Well, I'm really glad. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com <laughs> then this other passage was so good. As a young woman, I wanted so desperately to stay unencumbered. Now I know independence, that's easy. It's connection you have to protect, that ever-shifting balance between continuity and change. That was so beautiful. Thank you. So pretty. Oh my gosh. All these like little nuggets of wisdom, you know, Aww. you just like scatter them throughout. So it becomes like, as you said, it's not just about the sheep. Oh, no. (laughs) Although now I feel, like, self-conscious. I'm like, I don't even have anything appropriate I could even wear for this podcast. (laughs) I'm like, I don't even know. I'm just wearing a shirt. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, 
It's so, it's, I mean, memoir is so interesting. And we were saying right before we started that, um, I was saying that you had said that you had read, read Waiting for Daisy, which was my earlier memoir yes. about trying to have yes. a daughter um, who's about an hour away from here now and almost 20 years old. Crazy. And how these books to me feel like they're sort of speaking to one another and they're kind of a piece. And, you know, the younger me, I was just like, so allergic to anything that would feel like it was, you know, so-called tying. I didn't even want to own a couch. Like, it was huge. I was I was in my 30s before I bought a couch because I was so afraid of being, I don't know what I thought was going to happen to me. <laughs> you know, retrospect, I'm like, what was I thinking? Um, and I really had to learn the, and I think to it, in a way, that thump of stopping during lockdown, mm-hmm. you know, for those of us who didn't get sick, for those of us who were financially secure, you know, the worried well, there was some good thinking that went on there, you know? There was there was some good reckoning. And one of the things for me was thinking a lot about the meaning of connection and the meaning of community and the ways that I had sort of resisted and embraced that over time. And how you had said how, the, how COVID, there was, you were even more connected to some friends and yet yeah. at the same time completely disconnected. Yeah. Right, because you like had all these friend Zooms. And, yeah. You know. <laughs> you're like doing all these Zooms where you're, you know, because you think, what if you never see somebody? You know, that, mm-hmm. there was that period. It's yes. almost in a way already fading. You mm-hmm. know, that, where it was I know. So, I can't believe it even happened. Right? Like, so like, intense. Did that happen? I don't know. Maybe I dreamt it. And we thought, what if, you know, what if you lose, you know, you don't know if you're ever going to see people again. Mm-hmm. And and so we would have all these, you know, you talk, I, re- I just like connected with, with everybody that I loved and mm-hmm. you're having these soulful, you know, Zoom sessions where you're saying you, you love somebody and then you realize you've been on mute for the last 10 minutes. And, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, but, but at the same time, and so you're feeling like such love and connection and yet there's the screen and you can't, I mean, it was just, I don't know, it was, it, it, it's, a, it's a wild time to look back on. It's true. Yeah. Actually, Kyle, I know you just met him and his mom and grandmother died of COVID. Oh, I'm so I sorry. I know. We did lose people. My dad yeah. got COVID and yeah. it was remarkable. And I talk about that too. Yeah, I know. He was, was okay though. Yeah. But not, I mean, not he, fully recovered, you said. No, he not, did he not never, fully recover. But, yeah. he, but he did recover. He went home. I mean, he broke his pelvis. Yeah. He, I mean, he was like the, the uh, you know, one of those weebles, you know, that wobble but mm-hmm. don't for, for, for a long time. A long time. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Crazy times that we lived through. So now that the book is out and you have essentially the bookends of your yeah. of your thing of your oeuvre, let's just <laughs> say with all this nonfiction, amazing nonfiction in between, where do you see your, the rest of like your writing going? <sighs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <you> know? <laughs> Well, it's interesting. You know, people kind of, I've gotten a little bit of, um, you know, people making fun of me a little bit because I did two books on teenagers and sex, and then I did a book on, you know, textiles. Um, (laughs) But to me, there's so much of a piece because I feel like what my larger topic has been always has been, you know, looking at kind of the political personal and looking at the unexamined bits of our everyday life starting when I was with my first book, School Girls, Mm -hmm. which I feel like when I was writing that, that I was still kind of a girl myself. Um, I was 30. You know, I used to get, when I would stop, I would report that book, which was on middle school girls and sort of what happened to girls when they turned, when they went through puberty in terms of body and and educational equity and all these things. Um, And I was following these girls in two different communities, and I would get yelled at in the hall by a teacher. You know, they'd be like, where's your hall pass? <laughs> that doesn't happen anymore. But 
and going through sort of, you know, then I went through a book that was looking at women in life choices because I was trying to figure out my life and then waiting for Daisy and then Cinderella ate my daughter Mm -hmm. looking at you know, my little girl and princess culture and what it meant to be a girl and then girls and boys and sex. And so I feel like, and now looking at my life, um, you know, at midlife and, and empty nest and all that means. So I feel like I've really been consistent, yep. in fact. And I guess if I was going to say continue to be consistent, I'd be looking at what the next phase is in our lives as women and what that means and what isn't isn't examined around that. Maybe, um, as we maybe you're going to do, like, sex in midlife. I've thought about that. Um, <laughs> or I've thought about just looking at, you know, how how can we, how are we going to age? You mm-hmm. know, I've thought about that. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Or, you know, I might just, I loved doing this kind of experiential mm-hmm. thing. I would love to just, like, be, like, you know, like a George Plimpton type character and just go, like, do weird stuff and write about, you know, report back on. So I don't know. I don't know. Do you know the author A.J. Jacobs? Yes, like A.J. Yeah. Yeah. He's awesome. Yeah. I mean, he gets to do it. Why can't I do it? Did you see his big article about giving up plastic? No. Oh, my. So he wrote this whole thing. It was like a three-page thread in the New York Times about how he tried to go a whole day without touching anything that had to do with plastic. Oh. Which included his phone. What about his clothes? uh, It included a lot of clothes. And he had to wear just like his underwear. I don't know. There was it was crazy because like, most of our clothes have yeah. plastic in them, and he couldn't eat a lot of things. Yeah. yeah. What about his body? His body has plastic in it. He wouldn't be able to touch himself. I mean, we all have swallowed so much plastic. I mean, plastic. He, he was, made some joke about like his his wife had to like hold up his like I don't know his cup or I don't know something. Anyway, it was very, very funny. funny. But in terms of experiential, you, yeah. But just, I mean, the plastic thing was one of the big things in unraveling that. Yeah. I didn't. Um, I mean, I go to, so I go to the shearing and I'm wearing, you know, one of those fleece, yeah, like a Patagonia fleece or something, not to be mean to Patagonia, but, uh, cause they really try. Um, but it, you know, it was made out of recycled water bottles and I'm like, this is great. And I didn't realize that was like, you know, brandishing a ham and cheese sandwich on white bread. I love that analogy. Right? Yeah. <laughs> um, because it's plastic and no matter what you do with it, it's still going to end up being plastic and mm-hmm. landfill and so much. And just learning about how the... I mean, this gets to be like kind of the bummer part of the book in a way, but the, you know, the the impact of our clothing on the planet is so huge. And I really started wondering, like, why, why don't we think about our clothes the way we think about our food? You know, like so many of us are so interested in sustainable food. And I mean, even if it's just kind of casual, like, I don't know how it works, but I want to eat sustainably. You know, I want to eat organic. I don't want my stuff covered in plastic. We all want that. We want a better planet for our kids. And yet we're buying, you know, synthetic fiber and buying new garments once a week and then tossing the old ones out after we wear them twice and not thinking twice about it. Um, So, I mean, when I really looked into it, it kind of made me want to take to my eco-certified bed, but but you also kind of have to know. And then and the good news is, and I wrote about this actually. I just wrote a New York Times piece. I saw, I read it. Yeah, about sort of the how women have always used needlework as a vehicle for political voice, mm-hmm. which is really important. I mean, there's a reason why when Trump was elected, one of the first acts of collective protest was to knit hats. Mm-hmm. That's like a really tried and true historical way for women to express dissent. Mm-hmm. Um, but I talk about how maybe we could turn those. Um, that you know that those needles to the fashion industry now, and that in fact there is work being done, particularly in the European Union, to call them into account and to regulate and to create responsibility, and that's really exciting. So there is a place where we can put our effort in this now. Um, we don't have to just feel helpless about it. Yet another thing that we're doing to destroy the planet. Yeah, it's like 
Now I have another thing. I know. It's another thing. Worry about. It's okay. It's but right. it's okay. Because you got to know. And now yeah. you can actually, there's things we can do. Mm-hmm. And there's things that we cannot do. You know, you don't have to shop at Zara. You know, you, you can, there's other things that we can do. And and it really changed me. I mean, I have to say, I had no, no interest or clue, frankly, mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. any of that. And it, it changed how I buy clothes. It changed how I wear clothes in ways that I, I mean, I really kind of, I buy less. I value it more. I keep it longer the way people used to. And that's okay. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Do you have any advice for aspiring authors? Mm. You know, I think that people tend to think that people who do this for a living or people who've done it for a long time or people who've written a bunch of books do it easily. Like that, you know, it's no big deal. I just sit down and write a book. Whereas it's, I feel the same kind of terror, dread, anxiety, and certainty that I can't do it every day, just the way, you know, the way that new author, the only difference is that I recognize it as part of the process more because I've, I've, and I, and I have a little more faith that, although I always halfway through every book think, I can't do this book. This book isn't going to happen. I know I'll do a different book, you know, like think of like a whole different idea, but then I never, you know, and, and, but I think, um, you know, I always, I, I always think about, did you ever read Bird by Bird? Yes. yes. Like, so that's one of my favorite books I'm Mm -hmm. writing. And she talks, I don't know if you remember about the mythical radio station KFKD. I don't remember that. I'm sorry. I read it a really long time ago. K-fucked, basically. That plays in your head when you're writing. And one speaker is saying, like, you are the best. You deserve to be on the New York Times. You are so great. And the other one is like a hit parade of self-doubt. And what your task is as a writer is to, or any, I think, creative person, is to shut both of those speakers down long enough to just eke out a coherent paragraph. And I think the only difference between me and somebody else is that I do it anyway. Mm. Like I do it even though those voices are in my head, even though the thing tells me I can't do it, even though I have fear and doubt and all of that stuff, I do it anyway. And just do it anyway. Wow, that's really helpful. Really amazing. Also depressing, but that's okay. <laughs> no! no, I'm kidding. No, I'm kidding. Just, I, mean, I mean, I think it's really important well, it's like, to know. It, it, like, ma- you can't really ever achieve mastery at creative well, writing, can I mean, you? I do feel, no. I mean, yes and no. I do feel like when I look, I love having written. Mm-hmm. I feel really mm-hmm. good. Or, or, or I love that moment. Like, there's certain points. Like, there's a, there's a, the chapter that's on blue in this book mm-hmm. opens yes. up with my. It's my favorite color, so I appreciate that. Yeah, I know. Yeah, you noticed. So I know. And I, mine too. And mm-hmm. many people. Yep. And I write about the meaning of blue to me, starting with, you know, thinking about when I was 16 and I would sit in my room and listen to Joni Mitchell's Blue on repeat because mm-hmm, it was mm-hmm. a record my brothers had and I just, like, picked it up one day and and I would sit and cry because it was so, you know, because I, I was 16. Yeah. And, and that's and, you, you know, that's what you did. You'd sit in the twilight and cry and it felt so good and, like, what it means not to be able to do that now and mm. what you don't know. You know, and all this, all the kind of meaning and, and concept of Blue. And when I was writing that, I thought, this feels so good. This is exactly what I want to be doing, like right now. Mm-hmm. And that, like that flow state, is such a wonderful feeling. Um, so I do, you know, I do feel like I get that. But I also, I, I just, I like to demythologize it because I think it's really important for new authors or aspiring writers to know that it's okay to feel doubt and it's okay to feel fear and all of that, and that everybody does. And you know, do it anyway. And, and you'll get there. You really will. I love it. Peggy, thank you. This has been so nice. I feel like I just had like 
almost like a bath, like a warm bath of like <laughs> soulful rejuvenation or something. I don't know. That was like a good, such a reset, this conversation oh. for me emotionally. So anyway, this thank was you. super fun. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> thank on. you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.